0: Hi, Pastor Mike Fabares here. In August 2024, you're invited to join me on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. Delve into God's Word while taking in the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. One thing I want my my discipleship to teach people in the midst of their failing of a test. It seems like at least that they're failing. I wanna say you need to repent, and here's how I would put it, you need to call sin, sin. And that's what confession is. You're admitting this is wickedness, this is transgression, this is iniquity, this is evil, this is wrong.
1: Confrontation isn't comfortable, and sometimes it doesn't feel like the Christian thing to do. But in Acts chapter 8, verse 20, we read that Peter confronted and strongly rebuked Simon the magician for his wickedness, and he didn't shy away from calling Simon to repent. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares explains how we can deal confidently and effectively with sin to bring about real repentance. I'm your host, Dave Druey. And now here's Pastor Mike Fabares with part three of a message called, The Challenges of Discipleship.
0: I just want you to be bold enough to give a clear rebuke when you see things that are incongruent with a profession of faith. Number two, put it this way, you need to clearly rebuke sinful actions. You see sinful actions in professing Christians' lives, you need to say, that's wrong. A rebuke is, is a clear statement of you are doing something that is not in keeping with what you're saying you are. You are doing something that is opposite of your profession. You need to clearly rebuke sinful actions, and I know you don't think that is your job, but every time you read the Bible, I hope you realize as it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that this God-breathed document that you're studying every day and memorizing verses out of it is useful for teaching, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That has to happen, not just for yourself every morning as you stare into the word of God to see how your life ought to be altered. It's gotta happen in other people's lives. I don't know. Sometimes when I'm saying to someone who I should care about, your life right now is inconsistent with your profession. I don't know if I'm talking to a Christian or a non-Christian. I need them to figure that out for sure, and sometimes I have insight to see. But I do it just whether I'm dealing with someone who needs to be sound in the faith because they need to get over this temptation or whether I'm dealing with someone who's failing the test because they're proving they're not Christians. Either way, they've got to be silenced. They've got to be confronted. They have to be sharply rebuked. Yeah, well, this is, I know the Bible and this is a pastoral epistle. So just at least jot this down. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. The word neuthateo, which can be translated as confronting someone that they're doing the wrong thing with the right thing. Nuthateo, it's such a big word to, to confront them, to, to address the wrong. Paul says to the rank and file, pew sitters within the church of Rome. Don't have to be an apostle, don't have to be a preacher, don't even have to position leadership. He says, I know, I'm satisfied, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness and filled with knowledge and able to, here's the word, nuthateo one another. You can confront them. Matter of fact, it's often translated to warn them. And that's what we're doing. You're, gonna, you're in the bond of iniquity, man. You are not right with God you're able to instruct one another, to warn one another. And he says, I know in some points I've written you very boldly by way of reminder. I continue to be bold. We need the boldness to clearly rebuke sinful actions. There's so much more that can be said on that, but we're running out of time. So go back to our text in Acts chapter 8 and notice he doesn't just diagnose the problem because that is a frustration when someone says, well, here's the problem with your car, but they have no way to fix it. The fix is simple. One word, Seems like the answer for everything in the New Testament. Well, it is. It's the answer for everything in the Bible. Sinful people need to repent. Verse 22, repent. Matter of fact, let's just write it down. After that one word, it's enough to get our third point. Sincerely call for repentance. Number three, call for repentance. Say, you need to turn around. This has to stop, Simon. You cannot do this. You cannot just continue with your selfish ambition and trying to use your bank account to get up in this church. You now want to be a big fish in the small pond of Christianity. That's not how this works. I want you to quickly underline or note the elements of this, of this remedy, this call for repentance. Repent, there's our word. Therefore, and here's the definition of this wickedness of yours. You could have used a lot of words here. Of this boo-boo, of this mistake, of you not doing it quite right. It's a big strong word, your wickedness. And pray to the Lord. I like that. Clearly not Catholic theology here for the first pope according to the Romans. Not pray to me, not father I have sinned, forgive me. This is, you need to talk to God. I just love that redirect. You got to deal with this before God. And I said, this was interesting. If possible, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. That's an interesting way to put it. But it seems like I don't want any presumption on the grace of God here. You need to go with a kind of contrition that a real penitent person has saying, God, if you would, forgive me. Because he's the violated party. Verse 23, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness. You got something internal that is antithetical to a real heart of conversion, and in the bond of iniquity. It's like you're a slave of sin. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. Go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is one of the two psalms written in response to Nathan's confrontation that David receives, and he repents. This is a good picture of repentance, Psalm 32, Psalm 51. But I want us to look at Psalm 51 and see if you can't see every element of what I just read to you in this psalm. Okay, the first thing is some really strong words for sin. He doesn't say your mistake. He says, you need to deal with this. Repent of this wickedness of yours. Just look at some of these ways that David describes his own sin. Look at verse two. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. I know you don't use that word much either, but that word, pretty strong word about the twisting and perversion of what I've done. And cleanse me from my sin. Now there's the common word for it, even though that's a bigger word than we give it credit for. Then he gives us another word, verse three. I know my transgressions. I've gone way out of bounds here. That's what transgression. I've gone way beyond what you've said to do. And he used the word sin again. My sin is every for me. Look at verse four. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is, here's another word, another synonym for his sin. You've done, I've done what is evil. I mean, how many people in their repentance have called themselves evil, right? Have said my iniquity, my transgression, my sin, the evil that I've done. Peter's treating it the way every penitent person should treat their sin, and we're going to build some subpoints real quickly. I would say one thing: I want my my discipleship to teach people in the midst of their failing of a test. It seems like at least that they're failing. I want to say you need to repent, and here's how I would put it: You need to call sin sin, and that's what confession is. You're admitting this is wickedness, this is transgression, this is iniquity, this is evil, this is wrong. And you know what most people do? They put a comma after that and they say, but here's why I did it and here's the reasons. And, you know, they start to rationalize and justify what they've done and excuse it. Real repentance just gives the wrong like David does. I've done wrong. It's iniquity. It's transgression. It's evil. It's sin. Peter says you need to pray to the Lord. This whole psalm, by the way, is a prayer. Look at verse one, have mercy on me, O God. David is talking to God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Look at verse four again, against you and you only have I sinned. He knows who he's really wronged. And I'm thinking there's a lot of people in Bathsheba's family that I'm thinking have got, a, got another opinion on that. You've sinned against a lot of us. And he really had. He'd sinned against the armies, the commanders, the Bathsheba's husband, the family. Everyone had been sinned against here, it seems like and yet David is praying directly to God. How many people think that they need to apologize to their Christian friends or their small group leader or the shame they brought to their family? You need to talk first and foremost and primarily, the prayer of repentance goes to God. Do we need to confess it to people? Of course we do. But I'm just saying that's a good counseling point. Say that sin is sin, speak directly to God. Right? You're praying directly to God, you're praying to the Lord. And then I pointed this out a couple of times, That if possible, what a strange thing to say right? Pray to the Lord if possible. And if I ask you the question, is it possible for Simon to be forgiven? Of course you would say yes. Well, yeah, I just claim the claim of the promise of God, right? Confess your sins. He's faithful just to forgive your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Just do it, man. Pray the prayer. And I'm just saying this. There's no presumption upon the grace of God when the real repentant, penitent heart says, I've sinned. Is that in Psalm 51? How about this? It creates some issues in our minds, doesn't it? Verse 11, Psalm fifty-one, eleven: cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. All you gotta do is look at all the other Psalms David writes, and you think, you don't believe that. Right? You believe that when you confess your sins, God separates you from your sins as far as the east is from the west. Of course you preach that to people, but when you're in the midst of your own repentance, you're like, man, I don't know if you, if you could, if you would. I don't know if you will. I mean, there's this sense of like, I don't earn this, deserve it. It's like some people, you've heard the old line right now, my job to sin, God's job to forgive, right? God, that's what he does. There's a presumption upon the forgiveness and grace and mercy of God. We shouldn't presume upon that at all. Say that sin is sin, speak directly to God. Don't presume upon grace. He says you're in the bond of iniquity, the gall of bitterness, the bond of iniquity, that picture of that enslavement. I put it this way, you need to fear the power of sin. Do you think David has any of that here? when he is dealing with his lust and adultery and his covering up by killing Bathsheba's husband, look at what he says here in verse number five. After all this discussion about sin, iniquity, evil, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity in sin did my mother conceive me. Okay, okay that, like if you're the counselor, here, like, oh, that's a little too far, right? I mean, that's okay. You don't need to go that far. I mean, he's, Past the focus on this transgression, now he looks at the way he's so out of sync with God, even from his birth. Now, that's a great text to quote when you're teaching systematic theology and anthropology, saying, yeah, we're born in sin, separated from God. It's a Romans 5 principle. It's clear. I get that. But it's a prayer of penitence saying this, I am so messed up. Messed up from the beginning. It's like my whole bent in life is to sin. He fears that bond of iniquity. He fears the fact that this is who he is. And I know that what you want is so different than that. Verse 6, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom and the secret of my heart. And it's constantly rebelling. I have so many problems. This is a prayer, a humble prayer of penitence. Calling sin, sin. Speaking directly to God. Not presuming upon grace. Fearing the power of sin. Those are the four things you kind of see teased out in Peter's response to Simon's sin and the failure of this test. But then, it is interesting how Simon responds. Pray to the Lord that none of this happens to me. Look at verse four of our psalm. That's not how the real penitent person responds. Against you and you only have I sinned, and I've done, I've done what's evil in your sight. Now look at this line. So that you may be justified in your words. I sinned, I deserve to be punished, and blameless in your, No one can say, you didn't do the right thing here, God. If you kick me out of your family, if I don't have a place in Jerusalem, if I'm not the king anymore, you are completely justified. I mean, Nathan said the baby was gonna die. I mean, I'm thinking, you're not gonna accept that. That seems like an over-response. No, you're justified in your judgments, right? What you said about what my sin, I totally get it. You're justified in your words and blame it. Hey, if Simon was struck dead for doing something that, Is egregious in this passage compared to even the response of God to Ananias and Sapphira, knocking them dead for lying. You recognize that that is what Simon deserves. He deserves to lose all of his money and to die on the spot. That's the heart of a real penitent person. They fully own the transgression and they even see that if God were to punish them, they completely deserve it. David had that even long after, because one of the things Nathan said when David sinned is the sword's not going to depart. From your household. And when his son rises up, Absalom, to try to overtake the throne, and he does so for a while in the coup that takes place in Israel, David is being forced out of Jerusalem. He goes through the Kidron Valley up the Mount of Olives, and there's a man named Shimei who hates David, and he starts throwing rocks at him and cursing him. And David's still got an entourage around him, even though he's the kind of the deposed king of Israel at that point. One of his commanders says, let me go over there and kill this guy. And David says, no. He says, what if the Lord had just called him to do this? I mean, think about that. A guy is throwing rocks. Some dirtbag in Israel is throwing rocks at David and cursing him. He's the king. But he says, yeah, I'm the sinner who sinned, and all of this is happening because he's just in his judgments. That's fully owning the transgression. And what happens? Well, And the rest of this psalm, the good things happen. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I'll become the disciple. I'll teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips. My mouth will declare your praise you're not delighted in sacrifice or I give it, you're not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, Oh God, you will not despise. I know people see all this talk of, of repentance and contrition and weeping over our sin. We see, I, you don't get it if you're not a Christian. I get that. But I do want to say, at least to you skeptics, you do know where this ends for us, with the feeling of complete release of our guilt, joy, the kind of deliverance that we celebrate in our songs, singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You're focused on the fact, I can't believe they call themselves a wretch. Yeah, we do because it's true and you are too. It's just you don't see the amazing grace of God. The amazing, costly grace of God. And it's all available to us. But it needs real repentance, not fake counterfeit repentance, not trying to merge Christ into your life. It's the precious expensive redemption that ransoms souls. (laughs) Price, expensive. Thought of that because my lease is about to come up on my car and don't talk to me about what a bad financial arrangement leases are, I get it. But I don't wanna mess with cars. I just want it to work and if it doesn't work, send it back to the dealer. So I got these leases and they come up and I don't drive very long so I can get the low mileage lease and it's pretty cheap, it's affordable, whatever. My lease is coming up, that means I need a new car. So I look at the car I really want. Not the car I really want, you know the (laughs) car. You know the car I really want, right? I won't get that. That blue Porsche Carrera doesn't look good next to the pastor's office. So that's not the one. But the car I want, I mean, it's like just a better version of the car I have. It's a different brand. And I I looked at what they cost. Unreal what they cost. I see them in a down That's a car. I like that. I mean, I could get away with parking that in the pastor's slot. That's not going to get me thrown out. You guys can swallow it because you're all driving them. So I want, I just want one of those. (laughs) I was shocked. I can buy like two of my Hondas for that. I'm like, I can't believe it. It's not even a luxury car. It's not a, it's not a fancy brand. I mean, it's just, I just, it's a Chevy Tahoe. Do you know what Chevy Tahoe's cost right now? Unreal. Thought about my need to get my lease and a new car and thinking about sticker shock and I was having it. And I was coming back from Chicago on a plane on Friday night and uh, I was sitting there just thankful for the seats. It was one of those newer planes that had the nicer seats, all the gadgets in place to plug in your USB stuff. And I was like, oh, this is nice. I started looking around and I like, oh, this is nice. It must be a new plane. And, you know, I'm not big on planes, but I'm looking around. And I thought, how, how, how good it is to fly on a plane that's new like this? So I started thinking, I wonder what a plane costs, <laughs> right? So the plane was so cool, it had internet access. So I, I started looking around. What does a plane cost? Not that I'm a preacher that can either drive a Porsche or buy a plane. I get that. But you know what a Boeing Triple Seven costs? I mean, it's a nice plane. Three hundred and twenty million dollars per plane. Now maybe you can negotiate with the dealers you go in to buy one, but that's the sticker price. I think I was flying in a. What was that? What did I write it down? I, I was in a seven, uh, seven thirty-seven, I think, flying back from O'Hare. And I thought, well, this is much more affordable. It's only about $100 million for that plane new. But still, it's more than a Tahoe and it's out of my price range. But I thought, that's a lot of money. I'm flying in this plane. I'm always looking for good deals to fly. And then I started looking up weird things, right, when you got time to kill. It was like, what's gas cost for this thing? How big is the gas tank? How big do you think the gas tank is? Let's just start at at 777, 777. How many gallons, how long is it gonna take to fill this thing up? How many gallons do you think are in that plane? Ready? Right, depending on the model, there's three big tanks. 46,000 gallons. 46,000 gallons. So then I looked up the jet fuel costs. What does it cost for jet fuel? And since I'm from California, I wasn't shocked with this. It's close to five bucks a gallon for, for, for jet A fuel, right? That's what it's called, that America's, Jets use. So at about five bucks a gallon, 46,000 gallons, I'm not good at math, but I started doing some math on that. What's it cost to fill this thing up, right? I go to Costco just to save a few bucks on gas, but I'm thinking, what does it cost? You, you, you know that's, that's almost a quarter million dollars just to fill it up. I do want a good rate to fly from here to Chicago. I'd like to get a good deal. Right? And I'm always, talk about sticker shock, I'm always like shocked at how much it costs. Especially after COVID, now it's starting to go back up and it's like, I got good deals for a while. But now it's like, I don't like spending this much money on, on, even if someone else is paying for it, right? People that have me out to do things, it's like, you're paying, I still want to find the best price. But if I found an airline that was charging me like $39.99 to get there, I would start to wonder, (laughs) like, what are you filling this up with? Does it have all the safety features? Did you not hire all the guys to kind of check the engines before we take off? I don't know that I should be flying on a plane that's getting me there for 39 bucks per seat. I mean, you're putting like water in the gas tank. It can't be, po- it's not possible. And I realized this, that I don't want it to be cheap. I just like it to be inexpensive. Forgiveness especially for those who recognize the genuineness of their faith when they get through the test, they need to remember, as Peter is quick to point out, don't forget that you were ransomed, not by silver and gold, but by the spotless, blemishless lamb of God who through his blood paid for your forgiveness. I mean, it's an old line, right? But Bonhoeffer was right. This, this grace thing, that we that we've, it's, it's not cheap. Most expensive thing in the world. Someone hands you a free ticket on a plane, to go overseas, that, that's, that's a gift, especially if it's a good plane with all the safety features and with all that gas that it's burning. It's amazing what it costs to do that right and to have your sins pinned to the cross. I, I just think it deserves a kind of real penitence, a real repentance, not just in our lives, which we always start there, but when someone is there making less of the blood of Christ, as the writer of Hebrews put it, puts it, by their sin, they are trampling underfoot the blood of. Of Christ, I think you need to call them out on it. You need to be willing to clearly rebuke that and you need to call for repentance. For those of us that are constantly reminded of the great high cost of our redemption and grappling with our own repentance every week, I hope it's not a big stretch for you to help people see with sobriety the great need to make sure that their profession is in line with their deeds. God, we stand before you it's another one of these sermons we don't we don't like because it's man. it's not only hard to think about doing but it's uh, so out of step with evangelical culture God help us to see our responsibility to do our best to keep this church our small group our sub congregations keeping their actions and behaviors in line with their profession as we continue to reach out and love others around us as well So god commend us to this difficult work give us grace go before us pave the way for us as we try to do what you've asked us to do in this passage in jesus name amen
1: a great encouragement from pastor mike fabares as he wraps up today's message called the challenges of discipleship you're listening to focal point and we're in a series called gospel advance I invite you to go online to access the complete uncut version of this series. When you're on the website, you'll also have the opportunity to access more from Pastor Mike, including his weekly Bible devotionals, Bible Q&A, and much more at focalpointradio.org. Well, Pastor Mike never sugarcoats the Bible. And in this series, we're hearing that there will be confrontations and tough times ahead as we follow Christ. So to equip yourself for these challenges, keep listening to Focal Point every day and get a copy of this month's featured resource by apologist and evangelist Josh McDowell and Thomas Williams titled, How to Know God Exists, Solid Reasons to Believe in God, Discover Truth, and Find Meaning in Your Life. Get solid biblical answers to commonly asked questions about God, the Bible, and faith in Christ when you request this helpful resource. It's available when you make a generous donation to Focal Point by calling 888-320-5885 or contact us online at focalpointradio.org. And to help you understand why the Bible is a reliable guide, we're offering a free booklet titled 100 Prophecies Fulfilled by Jesus. It explains how Jesus perfectly fulfilled more than 100 unique prophecies and how these fulfilled prophecies validate the veracity of the Bible. Get your copy when you get in touch at 888 320 or online at focalpointradio.org. And if you're married or are thinking about getting married, then you'll want to join us again tomorrow to find out how to resolve the inevitable conflicts that manifest in marriage. When two become one, it can be challenging, especially when there's a split opinion. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you back tomorrow when Pastor Mike Fabares and his wife, Carlin, offer practical tips for resolving conflict in
0: marriage. Find out more Friday on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike. Or send me a note on facebook.com slash pastor mike or twitter.com slash pastor mike. I can't wait to hear from you.
1: Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.